Alright, welcome back to our study of Leviticus. In this episode we're going to get into Leviticus chapter 20, covering the death penalty. So God instituted capital punishment. Nowhere in the word of God is punishment given for the purpose of reforming a criminal. This was not the objective. If you don't believe in the death penalty, let me ask you the same question that pervades the book of Job. Do you mean to say that you are better than God? He makes no apology for the death penalty. In Numbers 35, uh, verse 33, it says, So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land. And the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. So it's interesting that there were no prisons in ancient Israel. And we're going to take the first five verses of chapter 20, covering Molech worship. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stone, and I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Moloch. So the worship of the horrific idol Moloch was mentioned back in Leviticus 18 verse 21. Moloch was worshipped by heating a metal statue representing the god until it was red hot. Then they would place a living infant on the outstretched hands of the statue while beating drums to drown out the screams of the child till it burned to death. So the penalty for Moloch worship was death and if the sentence was not carried out by Israel God declared he would set my face against that man and against his family. God will prosecute if the legal system of Israel failed to. So sadly even a man as great as Solomon at least sanctioned the worship of Moloch and built a temple to this idol in 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 7. King Ahaz of Judah gave his own son to Moloch in 2 Kings chapter 16 verse 3. One of the great crimes of the northern tribes of Israel was their worship of Moloch leading to the Assyrian captivity in 2 Kings chapter 17 verse 17. King Manasseh of Judah gave his son to Moloch in 2 Kings 21 verse 6. Up to the days of King Josiah of Judah, Moloch worshipped continued because he destroyed a place of worship to that idol in 2 Kings verse 23 or chapter 23 verse 10. So the worship of Moloch was savage, cruel, brutal, and satanic. Child brutality in our own land could be curtailed if we had stronger judges. And idolatry was high treason in a nation that was a theocracy. And even to know of such acts is misprison of a felony. So coming on verses 6 through 8, the penalty for involvement with the occult. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So in this specific passage, God gave nothing for Israel to do regarding the penalty. He simply said that he would execute the penalty. Involvement in such occultic practices invariably separates someone from God. And this was the driving force behind the Ephesian church's dramatic renunciation of magical and occultic materials in Acts 19 verses 17 through 20. Having seen the reality of spiritual warfare, they wanted to draw close to the Lord and remove anything that might hinder that drawing close. 1 John chapter 4 verse 2 makes it clear that there are spirits who are not from God. Such occultic Jesus-denying spirits must be rejected completely. So it said to sanctify yourselves 
and I'm the Lord who sanctifies you, these are two important aspects of our walk with God. God will not force you to be separate from him. He does the work, but he does it through our own cooperating efforts and yielded will. So false religion is definitely satanic and highly dangerous. Satan is a liar and the father of the lie. See John chapter 8 verse 44. And note verse 27. Why did God institute the death penalty for participating in these rites? It was spiritual adultery and treason. So coming down to verse 9, you'll have the penalty for the cursing of the parent. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. So virtually all commentators agree this is not an outburst of a small child or even an adolescent against their parent but the settled heart of a child against their parent such intergenerational warfare was not to be tolerated even punishable by death right so curses his father and mother this wasn't merely saying something bad about uh, or to one's parents it was likely the calling down of a death curse on them so elaborate curses may of which appear to have the natural of magical spells were current in the ancient Near East and amongst superstitious people often worked with devastating effect since in the Eastern mind the curse carried with itself its own power of execution. So they were to be put to death for this. Even considering that this law applied to an adult child who threatened their parent, this was still a severe law. Yet as it was practiced in ancient Israel, it had a built-in protection for the rights of the child according to Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 through 21 which states, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who when they chastened him will not heed them then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city to the gate of the city and they shall say to the elders of the city this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious he will not obey our voice he is a glutton and a drunkard then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones so you shall put away the evil from among you and all of Israel shall hear and fear so this passage states that the parent did not have the right to carry out this punishment but they had to bring the accused child before the elders and judges of the city. This meant that the parent, against all contemporary custom, did not have the absolute power of life and death over their children. As a practical matter, the judges of Israel rarely, if ever, administer the death penalty in such cases. Yet the child was still held accountable. So this covers the fifth commandment, and you can see Romans chapter 1 verse 31 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 and 3. So verse 10, the penalty for adultery. The man who commits adultery with with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So God commanded the death penalty for adultery in ancient Israel. As with previous laws and their penalties, this was because of the exceedingly great social consequences of this sin. God commanded the ultimate penalty to discourage it. And so as a practical manner, the death penalty was rarely carried out, as is the case in most of these situations where capital punishment is commanded. This is because any capital crime required two or three witnesses, and the witness had to be so sure of what they saw that they had to be willing to cast the first stone, that is, initiate the execution, as stated in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 6 and 7. So particularly in a case of adultery or other sexual sins, there would rarely be two eyewitnesses willing to initiate the execution, and so capital punishment would not be carried out. This also helps us to understand what Jesus was doing when confronting the crowd who brought to him the woman taken in adultery. By their presence and words, they claimed to have caught the woman in the act. But why then did they not bring the guilty man as 
as well. And who is willing to cast the first stone, that is, initiate the execution? Remember John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. So if the death penalty was carried out so rarely in ancient Israel, especially for these crimes, what good was it? It communicated loud and clear that the ideal, uh, or an ideal that Israel was to live up to, and it made the people regard their sin much more seriously. Today, we have done away with this ideal, and people don't care about such sins. Matter of fact, it's promoted in modern culture. In ancient Israel, there was no stronger way to say simply adultery is wrong, cursing your parents is wrong, incest is wrong, and even if you get away with it, it is wrong. God regards it as wrong, and society regards it as wrong. So coming in verses 11 through 12, you're going to have the penalty for sins of incest. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. Pretty straightforward. Moving on to verse 13, you have the penalty for homosexuality. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So God here commanded the death penalty for homosexual practice under the guidelines of evidence in a capital case as described in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 6 and 7. We should note this was not a more severe punishment than in what was commanded for adultery and incest. Homosexuality is sin, but sin is the same sense uh, other sexual sins are, right? Just as bad. So coming down to verse 14, the penalty for marrying both a woman and her mother. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. So Adam Clark had an interesting approach to the phrase, shall be burned with fire, though it's not likely accurate. It is very likely that the crime mentioned in this verse was not punished by burning alive, but by some kind of branding by which they were ever after rendered infamous. Branding with the hot iron would certainly accomplish every desirable end for both punishment and prevention, but that's speculation. All right, verses 15 through 16, you're going to have the penalty for bestiality. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death, and their blood is upon them. So adultery in every form was punished with death. Sins of sex have caused the most powerful empires to topple throughout history. Verses 17 through 21 are going to have the penalty for other sexual sins. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and seeks her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered his sister nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow, and she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin, and they shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness, and they shall be childless. So the penalty for these sins was not death, as in the previous mentioned sexual sins, but rather to be cut off, that is, exiled or sanctioned within Israel until the sin was atoned for or cleansed through a ceremonial cleansing. So to die childless, other aspects of the penalties here belong to God alone. They shall be childless is a penalty only God can apply. So verses 22 through 26 will have a summary why God called Israel to such 
holiness, right? This is to avoid all these things is to stand in God's vision of perfection. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you for they commit all these things and therefore I abhor them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean. You shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. So the Canaanites, who presently lived in the promised land, were deeply involved in all these sins. And because of that, God would use Israel to judge them and drive them out. So God pleaded with Israel to obey him, that the same fate would not befall Israel, right? That the land wouldn't vomit them out. Unfortunately, it eventually did. And the land did cast out Israel, resulting in the exile both for the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of of Judah, right? So he calls them to be mine. These laws were not only given so that Israel could possess the land, they were also so God could possess Israel, so they would be holy to me, for I, the Lord, and holy that you should be mine. <clears throat> Sometimes we think that God mostly wants is our obedience, but there is in a sense in which we can give God our obedience without giving him ourselves, such as perhaps the Pharisees did. What God really wants is us, and if that is truly given, the obedience will follow. So the failure to obey God brought them uh, the Babylonian captivity in Second Kings chapter 21 verses 1 through 2 and also verses 6 and 9. And you can also reference Deuteronomy 29 verses 24 through 28 on inheriting the land and it flowing with milk and honey and separating them from other people. So in verse 25, God began with their diet and he concludes with it, right? To avoid things that are unclean and to see the difference between clean and unclean beasts. And he calls them to be holy. Israel has returned to land, but they had not returned to God. Now verse 27, penalty for being a medium or a practitioner of the occult. A man or a woman who is a medium who or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. So if one consulted a medium, they were to be cut off in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 6. But if someone was the actual practitioner of these occultic arts, they were to be executed under the law of Israel. So the blood shall be upon them. This reminds us that it is a much more serious thing to lead others into sin than to sin ourselves. And so the penalty is greater, even as Jesus said, But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. And that ties up chapter 20. Next time we'll get into 21, talking about personal purity. Thank you for joining me.